Here we go. Cool beans. Oh, sorry. Ooh, I'm scared. Hey, and welcome to another episode of ATA with Danny and Ray. I'm Ray, and um, Danny's not here. Instead, we have two very special people that I'm so excited to introduce to you guys. Um, why don't y'all go ahead and say who you are? Hi, I'm Jesse, Jesse Puffenberger. Hi, I'm Gabby. That's my wife. So Jesse and Gabby are going to be joining the show. I'm so excited because, um, you know, life is crazy and Daniel's life is crazy. So while Daniel and I love doing the anime side of things, we don't really have time to get into like cartoons and other animated goodness. So I'm super excited that Jesse and Gabby will be able to help me dive into all of the classics that we grew up with and things we didn't grow up with. Yeah. Like, I'm excited. Me too. I'm really excited. <laughs> yes. So, like, as a, a warm-up question, can you guys name, like, what was one of your favorite cartoons growing up? Jimmy Neutron. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I loved the classic, like, Danny Phantom, SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents, and Jimmy Neutron. Mm -hmm. But Jimmy Neutron was the one that, like, I was always on when the, I was always on the TV whenever the, um, or always in front of the TV when the new episode came out. Uh, I had video games, like, computer games. Um, from Jimmy Neutron. That was my thing. I had a Jimmy Neutron birthday party when I was like... Oh my gosh, dude. Maybe when wow. I was 10. I don't know. Maybe when I was 10. I'm probably getting that year wrong. But sometime in my in that part of my childhood, I had a whole birthday party dedicated to it. <laughs> what about you, Gabby? Um, I was like a full-on Teen Titans girl. There you yep. go. That's cool. <laughs> oh, y'all, my public school... My, like, public television side is showing. <laughs> My favorite was Arthur. <laughs> oh, Arthur's so good. I love it. Like, they just they released just the last episode ever. You guys said the exact same thing. It's really funny. <laughs> Y'all, my heart is bursting. Like, that was, yeah. that was my childhood. Dare I say, even part of my adulthood. <laughs> well, it's been on forever. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a PBS years. one, wasn't it? Like PBS yep. kids? Yeah. yeah, that's why I said my PBS kids side is showing because like that's what we had. It's ah. like three channels and that was one of them. So. I, feel that. I think my favorite <laughs> PBS cartoon was actually Cyber Chase. <gasps> that is excellent stuff. Really yeah. enjoyed that. Although I can't stand math, so I'm not sure why I had such a good time. <laughs> really? I don't like math. Or I wasn't very good at math. It's because Hacker was amazing. That's why you love it. Hacker! Ah, love it. Yes. Oh, gosh. We are detouring hardcore, but, yes, you know, that are. always happens. So, <laughs> who cares? At least we stayed on topic of cartoons. Daniel and I end up talking about, like, coffee. <laughs> so, We don't yeah, have much to talk about because we don't drink it. So, you're safe there. That's fine. <laughs> there we go. We'll stay on the animated side of the internet. So, today, we are reviewing... The movie Scooby-Doo Franken-Creepy. Okay, first of all, what did y'all think when you heard the title of this film? I was excited. Yeah? And I'll tell you why. I heard, heard I read, like, somebody's, like, analysis of Scooby-Doo, because that's the kind of internet that I'm on, um, where they basically said the more ridiculous and cringy a Scooby-Doo title is, the better the movie is. And I 
completely believe that. <laughs> I could almost believe that too. Yeah. It's like the the more the more silly it is, the more you're like, this is a really good movie. So I was very excited at the title. <laughs> oh my goodness, Gabby, what, were you like cringing inside, or were you curious? Um, I was just really curious because I hadn't heard of it before. So yeah. I was like, huh, a new one. So, like, y'all had never seen this one before. Never. I had not either. This was actually, I found this, um, like, at the library on DVD. And I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this. (laughs) I'm getting it. And I did. And I was not disappointed. But. (laughs) Yeah. It was. (laughs) Why don't I just ask it now? Would you recommend this to somebody? 100%. Yes, I would absolutely recommend this movie to anyone. (laughs) Me too, Mitt. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I enjoyed it so much, and we'll we'll get into why. But first, before we lose people, um, if you haven't seen this movie yet, um, here is a brief spoiler-free synopsis, and then after that, it's pretty much, it's all all game. Like, you've been warned. Here's the premise of the show. The premise is... Velma inherits her great-great-uncle's mansion, which holds dark secrets she's tried to keep hidden for years. Going to Transylvania, Pennsylvania, Velma sets out to clear her family's name, while the gang's friendship and their biggest phobias are put to the test. So that is the basic premise of the story. Let's just warn the people now. Spoilers are coming. So many. So either don't listen or be spoiled. It's up to you. I have some fast facts for you guys. All right, here we go. I'm going to run these by you, see what you think. Fast fact number one. This was released in 2014. Fact number two. This was an hour and 14 minutes. Fact number three. It was a comedy horror, but I would say heavy on the comedy. It is either the 22nd or 23rd direct-to-video Scooby-Doo film. Wikipedia said one thing, and then the Scooby Wiki said another, so I don't know if it's the 22nd or the 23rd. That's really funny that it's inconsistent that way. Like, what movie yeah. is what movie is almost direct-to-video that it, like, pushes it out? <laughs> I know. I, like, who's doing this counting? Did someone miss a video? Did someone count something that wasn't supposed to be counted? I would almost trust regular Wikipedia before fandom Wikipedias. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I'm just like, this is the more respectable Wikipedia. <laughs> the Scooby-Doo one had more stuff. I would trust the fandom ones first because people that put stuff on the fandom ones are obsessed. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. I guess I'm just used to trusting Wikipedia Classic for like facts and like fandom for, I don't know, useless trivia. <laughs> Fiction. <laughs> fiction (laughs) it is a fandom wiki which can we just say we live in a world with fandom wikis people make these and run them and add content to them and i would just want to know who has the time and like to find all of this stuff and then like compile it and then put it up there and like organize it online like these people where do they come from i don't have this kind of time (laughs) (laughs) i was like i feel like these are the people that are so obsessed with like animation and cartoons and stuff that they're like we must compile the information and for the future generations yeah 
<laughs> oh, okay. This is a heart-wrenching fact. Although it is not listed in the film, this was, in fact, dedicated to Casey... Is it Kasim or Kasim? Kasim. The Kasim, um, who passed away in 2014. Oh, yeah. Original so voice of Shaggy Rogers. Yeah. Yeah, he passed away that same... I think it sounds like he passed away in like in this early summer and then mm-hmm. it released like that august or september so yeah, yeah it's oh, crazy Casey Kasem. it's amazing that he and frank welker who is the voice of fred jones um i don't know how much casey Kasem did but i do know that like frank welker has been doing cartoons especially fred uh for a really really long time this man has yeah. been Fred since Fred was first put on television. He is the eternal youth that is Fred. I don't know how he sounds so young still. Like, I don't think, uh, it, maybe I'm just imagining it and it's not, Frank Welker wasn't the original Freddy, but I'm fairly certain he was no, when he I watched is. documentaries. Like, he has been Freddy since man, the beginning. How old was he in the beginning? That's like How old is he now? Well, I mean, <laughs> Scooby-Doo's been on since 1969, so old. That was the year my mom was born. I think right now he's in like his late 60s, maybe early 70s. Because I don't know how old he was when he voiced it. When he voiced it. It is, Fred is not an it. Fred is a man. He was a wee babe. (laughs) He is a wee baby. He was, he was an infant when he, you know, voiced Fred. Everyone knows that. (laughs) Also, my sense of time is always janked. So it's like 60 years ago when really it was not 60 years ago. My mom is only 50, 53. (laughs) Your mom's going to listen to this and be like, Jesse, come on. Come on, boy. If this is what makes her say that, then I'm not doing, I'm not working hard enough to annoy her. (laughs) All right, next fact. This is the first Scooby-Doo film to have footage from past episodes. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. You don't necessarily see that because the animation style and quality are so different that I think a lot of people, a lot of movies tend to just not include it. Or, like, reference it. Or they, like, re-skin it almost. So it was really cool to see the original, original featured in it. Yeah. I just, I love that about this. I love it that that was part of it. And, like, a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last fact that I thought was interesting is I just put it in the history of Scooby-Doo. And it was released right after Mystery Incorporated. Now, I don't know when that ended, but it began in 2010. Mm-hmm. And it released right before Be Cool Scooby-Doo in 2015. So it's interesting. I I don't know all the facts and details, but according to the Scooby Wiki page, um, there's like a little homages to um, Mr. Incorporated in there. Like their license plate, I guess, is the same one in the show. Oh. um, Yeah. Like little stuff like that. The animation quality and colors were similar. The line work was more traditional Scooby-Doo than the stylized version we got in uh, Mystery Incorporated, but it definitely had the same palettes and shadows and lighting that makes you think of mm. Mystery Incorporated, which was really cool. I mean, I could go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, ooh, I know that we're going to get like sunk deep down in this thing, so we better dive on in. Let's, should we give the, the crowd a detailed plot of what actually happens in this thing? Yeah, and if you want, I can do that. 
Yeah, go for I'll it. I'll do the Jesse version. I've been talking version. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Jesse summary? The just summary. The just summary of Scooby Doo, oh Frank and Creepy. Um, uh, just what uh, just piggybacking off what Rachel said before. Uh, Velma inherits a castle in Transylvania, Pennsylvania, from her great great uncle. Baron von Dinkenstein. She's not really interested in this or really happy about it because she's got this big family secret that her relatives were obsessed with proving the supernatural was was real by like building this this creepy monster and bringing it to life. And that's the reason she has dedicated her whole life to like solving mysteries and proving that it's always a man behind the mask. Um, so they go to Transylvania and... Part of the curse of the Von Dinkenstein is that everything you love will be taken away from you and you'll be utterly destroyed. So each of the individual members of the gang um, have parts of their identities taken away from them. Um, I don't know. I feel like I don't want to like... This is not. This doesn't sound like a summary. It's more so like a play-by-play. Um, mm-hmm. And they have to solve the yeah. mystery of why Velma goes crazy because she does go crazy. And if the monster yeah, she that she brings to life is actually a monster or not, and what the heck is happening to everybody, because it it, it feels like a true haunting, because all this terrible stuff is happening. Like, a lot of stuff yeah, happens. Yeah, it does. This, this movie is chock full of so much stuff. It's chaotic. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> um, when you said it was an hour and 14 minutes, I was kind of, like, shook, because... It feels like it was both not that long and so much longer. Like yeah, hours so 14 minutes is not. Yeah, so much happens, but it happens so quickly. So yeah, they, the they editing go. style can attest to that. I just want to talk about the editing style real quick. Okay, should we just dive on into favorite parts because like that's one of my favorite parts of all time. I oh, I mean, the editing is hilarious. Because, yes. especially in the beginning, they do these, like, fast cuts with these noises. Like, it's when they get in the mystery machine, the there's, like, best. the sound of tires squealing. And then it suddenly cuts to the keys jangling. And then, like, the horn honking. And then, like, pulling into a parking spot in the space of, like, four seconds. But it's it's, it's paced it's, out really, really cool. So it gives you a sense of motion. But it's so quick. And it's I notice it's often, often with traveling or, like, taking in a scene. So either they're like going in the mystery machine somewhere and bam, 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 bam. Or, oh, Fred's taking in the array of tools in a room. Bam, 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 bam. And it's it's so interesting. And they use sound instead of music. I never thought about that. Yeah, if you notice that, like, like if there is any kind of background noise or music, it almost gets cut out completely in favor of the transition sounds they use. Like the tools and the, and the car engine and all this other stuff. Um Oh, but yeah, the editing mm-hmm. in this, I gotta say, whoever, and I'd have to look at the, like the the production credits, but the person who headed the editing of this is a genius. Yes, because that <laughs> opening sequence where the gang is like like calling in to to Daphne's, um, it almost looks like her YouTube her- channel. It's not that's not what it is, but they're like yeah. video conferencing in to say hello on her website. Mm-hmm, and. <laughs> and then it cuts to all all these jump cuts and the animation is so clean and smooth and detailed. Like this yeah. thing looks so professional. I like I I'm kind of I kind of feel like this movie would have looked just at home in a cinema. Like if it'd been released for cinema instead oh, of direct yeah. to DVD because of how good it looks. Yeah. 
What did y'all think of Daphne's web show? <laughs> it was so silly. Share your thoughts, Gabby. <laughs> it was silly. <laughs> I just, uh, why does that feel like so, like, the 2000s now? Everyone has a web show, and of course Daphne would have one. Yeah. She would. She would. I also love the, uh, in that particular sequence, when Velma calls in, Daphne's like, oh, we're just singing your praises. And Velma's like, I know. Like, <laughs> she's not surprised by this. Sing my praises. <laughs> oh, so I didn't catch this, but according to the Scooby-Doo wiki, apparently that whole conversation happened in the restaurant. So, like, in the sequence, they have the whole web show. Then you see laptops closing and bam, they're in the diner together. I think apparently that implies that they were all at that table together the whole time doing the web show, calling in. And did they just change their backgrounds? Do you think that's a thing? Or do you think they're just speculating on the fandom side of things? No, I fully believe that's what happened. I'm just imagining they go out to the malt shop because in Scooby-Doo, the malt shop never dies. Um, they go out to the malt shop and they set up all their laptops and instead of hanging out, they hang out, but also hang out online. <laughs> and that's just, that is such a 21st century notion. Yep. Also props to them for, for predicting Zoom backgrounds, if that's really how it worked. Because if, like his friend's background was not the diner, but it could have just been like how on Zoom you can set your background to something. But this is in 2014. <laughs> was that even a thing in 2014? I don't know if Zoom was around, but it definitely wasn't as iconic and prevalent as it was during the height of COVID. It was around because I was using, not Zoom, but I was using Skype. Is that the same? That's not really the same Skype thing. to me is like an ancient piece of software. I do not use <laughs> Skype. I used to, but not anymore. I, yeah, same. Same. What? Well, I was just going to ask Gabby, like, what her thoughts were of the beginning of the film and the editing and stuff. Oh, I yes, please, Gabby. I... Don't really have any opinions on the editing. <laughs> <laughs> That's we're valid. the editing nerds, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it just, I love it. I just love it so much. Like, that's goals for editing. Comedic timed editing of glory. So good. It's wonderful. Okay. Um, also, like... I when I first watched it, I just love the fact that they were talking about a bunch of their old mysteries. Yeah. I had no idea that it would all tie together in the end. I was just like, "Oh, this is interesting." But literally, they did not waste one sentence, one clip. Like it was all purposeful. That's the thing about this movie. Everything was super intentional. There really wasn't anything throwaway. Because when you watch, we watched it a second time last night to prepare for today, and I was noticing so much more that was being set up. Yes. Yeah. Like, I well, feel like if you're an English teacher, English teacher, I don't know what I just said there. Um, this movie <laughs> would be like perfect for an example of Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. Yes, Chekhov's gun. Because like everything in the beginning. You see it happening in the end. Yeah. And so it's like the perfect example. For our listeners, what is Chekhov's gun in a simple term? And for Rachel, too. Okay. Um, <laughs> so in literature and theater, Chekhov's gun 
is the idea that you're not going to put anything in the scene or in, like, um, the wording that you're not going to loop back around to. So, like, if in chapter one of a book you have, um, like, the character gets a sword um, and then it disappears, it's going to reappear somehow either as the character's weapon or as something that will kill the character at the end. The concept that, as far as I know, stems from um, uh, Anton Chekhov, who was a Russian playwright. Yep. Um, And he was famous for, like, putting... If a gun was hanging off the mantle on one of his sets, that gun would eventually be taken down at some point and used. It wasn't just going to hang up there for decoration. Everything he put on stage was used. So Chekhov's gun as a... As a um, as a literary term, as a, a story term, means that everything that was set up in the beginning of Frank and Creepy were, were Chekhov guns that were then fired or used at the end of the film to tie everything together. Yes. Nothing was wasted, like you said. Yeah. I think I've seen that in action in stories in film, but I like I never had a term for it. So that's cool. Yeah, well, she's that's an awesome. English major and I was a theater minor. So Chekhov's gun comes up a lot in our studies. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool welcome to the show ata where you will learn so many things we will teach you whether awesome. you like it or not <laughs> they're like all right i'm gonna get off the podcast now <laughs> goodbye <laughs> i'm not here to learn goodbye. <laughs> uh that's so cool did you have any guys have any other thoughts about like the intro and stuff or are you ready to move when they meet the lawyer the only other thing that I want to highlight on is not only is the intro sequence that sets up the story really good, the c- opening credits look really, really good. They look like, so you know, like some of the more recent Disney movies, like from the twenty, the 2010s and such, the end credit sequence is usually this really artsy, like Encanto's got it, Ratatouille had it, I'm pretty sure... Um, Rapunzel had it. There's just like this artsy cute yeah. sequence where there's like little animations and drawings and stuff that go with the main the main credits of it before going into the, into the rolling credits. Um, mm-hmm. The opening credits for Scooby-Doo made me think of that because it's like yeah. Disney movie featured film quality. It was so good. And, and I didn't really pay much attention to it the first time around because I didn't know how it ended. But the fact that the whole opening sequence shows you how the villains get together and how they networked with each other. You don't know that when yes. you're watching it, but you're basically oh getting the mystery. The answer to the mystery is in front of you in the opening sequence, and you don't even know it. Ah, I love it's it. So and I wild. love it that they used audio from the old episodes. Like, I'm, either they redubbed it, or they just literally pulled it from the old episodes. Like, I'm pretty sure it's stuff they said from the mm-hmm. episodes they referenced, too. Uh, I think... Oh. I think they pulled, I'm not, I don't have any basis for this, but I'm fairly certain that they could have pulled those from any of the direct-to-video movies that have come out in the last 20 years. <laughs> Gosh, 20 years. Right, yeah. Ugh. But uh, any of those, as well as any of the TV, although I'm not sure how the right. rights go between the direct-to-video releases and, like, Cartoon Network. Hmm. Not sure right. how they handle that. But, yeah, That's there's so point. much they can know. pull from because there's so much content. It's based on those, like, what, four episodes? I would not be surprised if they're like, let's steal some lines from there. <laughs> the only reason I would not think that's why it is, is because you can hear Mindy Cohn, the voice of Velma, and Greg Delisle, oh. the voice of Daphne, in those lines. And those aren't the original right. voices of Daphne and Velma. 
or else right, that would have been super cool. I knew that. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But that's something they could easily just record there and yeah. Move yeah, on. they could have taken from this from the dialogue. Mm-hmm. They could have just had Mindy and Gray and the rest of them just say lines that were in the original scripts from those four episodes. Mm-hmm. I wasn't paying enough attention, no or not, but they can do whatever they want. <laughs> True. True. Okay. Transition. Lawyer question mark. I love the lawyer sequence. <laughs> what about it? I it's well, first of all, I did not recognize him. And I don't think you're supposed to really recognize oh, him. But they I didn't stayed, either. They stayed pretty true to how he was originally designed in the um, the Phantom Shadow. So, um, to remind the audience again, he we think he's just Velma's family lawyer when they go to meet with him. He mm-hmm. hacks into their web show and, or, and is like, we have an emergency. And so, we later find out that he is... He's one of the brothers, right? From the, um, uh, like they were the partners. Creep? So it's it was Creeps and Crawley were the two lawyers okay, yes. who were dressed up as the Green Ghosts in the um, in What a Night for a Fright. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the episodes is mentioned. Uh, Creeps isn't there, but Crawley is. And if you go back to, well, they show it to you actually at the end. They show you a clip mm. of them like being hung up and waiting for the police to come arrest them. Right. Um, they, stuck re- they stuck really true to Crawley's original design, but it goes over your head because you haven't seen him in 50 plus years. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I like the guy who voices him, and I think the whole sequence is funny just because before you realize he's a villain, he's just this really deadpan funny lawyer who's not trying to be funny. He's like, oh, yeah, there's a whole curse, mm-hmm. but there's nothing to worry about. But he's super serious about it. And we know why, because he ends up being one of the villains. But when you don't know that, you're like, man, this guy is kind of, he's a little extra. <laughs> he's a little extra. <laughs> like, dude, what are I you doing? I didn't have any actually notes. Uh, I didn't have any actual notes in the lawyer. I just noticed that when the Von Dinkenstein's ghost actually showed up, I literally wrote down, oh, that ghost reminds me of Iron Face. <laughs> like i wonder no, why i had even seen it before and i was just like oh that's interesting <laughs> see that's one choice i was like huh because they show you a clip of iron face right before mm. we see iron face's mask but you're supposed to not connect the two like, I feel right. like they were setting it up like you weren't supposed to make the connection to later when Daphne's like, oh, I should have recognized that mask. Meanwhile, in the beginning, I'm like, yeah, I we all recognize the mask, right? Hello? Yeah. Just me? <laughs> it was just you because I did not recognize it the first time. Okay, I'm just oh, really? really hyper fixated on the mask then. <laughs> Maybe it's just because we... <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts, Gabby? Um, I thought it was funny. Like... <laughs> I, the part that stuck out to me the most (laughs) was the part whenever Shaggy and Scooby are freaking out about the legacy and they're like, his legacy and his armacy and his (laughs) footacy, it killed me. Oh, the jokes are so good. Um, since, uh. And I said you didn't really have any notes more about the lawyer, but like 
kind of directly following that part of the movie when we get to the train ride, which is just a trip in itself. Oh, yes. Love mm-hmm. the train ride. Oh. But especially, this movie is really good at playing things in threes, which is the rule of comedy. It has to come in threes. And what I mean by that is when Shaggy goes up to the front of the train where the where the curse man ghost thing is, the ghost of Baron von Dingenstein is, um, and the ghost is like, ha 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 ha. And Scooby go, or Shaggy goes, ha, 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 like he's scared, but it gets repeated like, ha ha ha, ha 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 ha. And it's just, it, the way it flips back and forth, it goes three times and it makes me giggle. That's a really, really rough description of it, but it's so good. The comedy was just on point. It was so random, but because it was random like all the time, it wasn't random. Like the movie had a theme and it stuck to it as far as the comedy goes. Random cut, my favorite random cut from the whole thing was something, what are they even talking about? They were talking about on the train about being thrown into like the abyss or something. And then Shaggy made a comment about being thrown into a vat of pudding and how they'd be okay with that. And literally they show Scooby and Shaggy being thrown into a vat of pudding. Like it is the shortest shot, but like animators were like, yeah, we have to do this like one, two second shot because Shaggy made this comment. (laughs) It's, it's so funny what the jump cuts are like used for. Cause I feel like they just threw like darts at a, at a, like a chart of, the scenes and we're like yeah we'll throw this here and it fits perfectly because they know how to they know how to make it not fit it in there and make it funny um like when shaggy opens up the window to like throw up out the side of the train and it cuts to a drink being poured into a cup yes <laughs> like it gives you the visual but you're like uh, oh okay it's just a drink i guess it's not that gross <laughs> like it catches you <laughs> yes there was so much of that there was so much of that um, also on that train ride, I 100% believe that the whole cheerleading formation thing, which is funny in and of itself, to save the train car from tipping over, the the Scooby gang become like a like a cheerleading triangle out the opposite pyramid. side or pyramid to balance it and then get pulled back inside. And it's because Daphne is like cheering everybody on to like not be worried about dying. And when I saw it, I was like, they did that at one point. Because Daphne asked them to. And then Fred decided that it was going to be like part of their play-by-play plans. Like he's going to pull out like, all right, everyone, in formation. Because they, it happened so quickly. They must have practiced it at some point. Fred is is 100% the kind of person who sees you do something once. And he's like, I gotta, I gotta figure out how you did this. And then it's going to be a part of a plan. So like the pyramid had to have been like, plan 88 for this random situation he's got a number for every plan i'd believe it (laughs) (laughs) no i believe it too okay speaking of the train scene um did anyone else get anastasia vibes i didn't get anastasia vibes but now that you're saying that the train the um the passenger car what is it called the little booths they were sitting yeah. in where you sit, like, personally. Like, yeah. It was either Anastasia, yeah. Harry Potter, or both. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I was... Because, like, 
the whole dire situation, things catching on fire, them separating the cars to save themselves. I'm yeah. like, it's Anastasia, but not. I didn't see that at first. That's really cool. We were obsessed with the passengers who looked like they all belonged to the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's what we saw. <laughs> like, oh, why? How? Where? You know what's really interesting well, about the Anastasia observation, now that I'm thinking about it, is... Uh, in the original movie, the the Anastasia film from 97, that animation was mixed a little bit with like early 3D animation and it looked really, really good for its time. And especially when Anastasia and Dimitri and Vladimir are all sitting in the train car and the car itself is like a, a like a 3D backdrop while they're like 2D animated characters. And it looks really good. I remember thinking when I watched the movie, like, oh, that looks really good. They basically do the same thing when Velma is telling her story because it's like a semi-realized the 3D background, but then she's a 2D character. But it's not in a way that's jarring. It's in a way that looks really cool. It's it's melded. See, I'm telling you, it's Anastasia. It, but I, not. Yeah, now that you've said it, I can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping. Am I allowed to jump? Um, Segway, 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 segway. Okay, we're good. Okay, great. <laughs> I love... This goes right to the next scene. So they go to Transylvania. Oh, now I have to segue to something else. Y'all, <laughs> there's a whole debate on the wiki page about Velma's family. Because you know how they talk about, like, oh, her family came from the old country and then came over to America and then, like, started Transylvania, Pennsylvania. Yeah. There's yeah. a whole debate on where they're actually from. Because some people were like, oh, Germany, or oh, Switzerland, or oh, look at the way they're dressed, or look at the way they talk, or look at the words they use. Like, I'm not even gonna get into it, but there's literal paragraphs. paragraphs. I mean, I just assumed, I mean, it's a cartoon, right? A lot of the times when we have cartoons that have themes like this and like styles like this, they're just trying to be vaguely mid to Eastern European without really caring about what they're doing. It's heavily mm -hmm. German, usually, just because of like Lederhosen and the accents and stuff. But they also use stuff from like, like Switzerland, like you said, and like even further east into the country, like Ukraine and, and Romania and stuff. Like it's just an amalgamum. So I don't think the Scooby just, writers really cared exactly where it was. They just kind of slapped their hand over a couple countries in mid to Eastern Europe and said, here, generally. <laughs> well, apparently some people care, even if it's not the writers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it works. People yeah. care more than the writers do. Always. Writers are just like, this will work. <laughs> this is fine. I've been one of those writers, and so yes. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> Okay, segue, segue, segue. <gasps> the sound effect gags. Ah. They were my favorite. Sound effect gag number one. Mrs. Vanders going down the castle. And you literally just see a pan of the outside of the castle going down the steps. You don't oh, actually she's going ever down see the inside door? of the castle. Yeah. yeah, and you just hear like, step, 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 creak, slam, step, 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 creak, slam. Like <laughs> the whole way down this castle. And it's ridiculous and I love it. Uh, what did you say her name was? Because she, hers was the name that I forget M most. Vanders, at least. Miss Vanders. We're going to pretend that's what her name is right now. Um. <laughs> anyway, I think Miss Vanders overall had the best sound gags. They gave oh, yeah. all the best sound yes. gags to her. Um, 
Namely, and I'm I'm sure this one's on your list already, but when she drops the key into the neck yes! of her dress and it sounds like it's going yes! down like a like a wet, slimy clock tower <laughs> clanging and then dropping into a puddle of water at the bottom and just and it goes on for so long and it just gets funnier the longer it goes because she's holding still like she's making sure it gets to the bottom before she moves. And the bottom of what, you ask? We don't know. <laughs> Where did it go? All right, I'm checking to make sure this is Mrs. Yes, Mrs. Vanders is her name. <sighs> that was my favorite gag. Of I don't all the think I've gags. ever seen something like that funny as far as a sound gag in in like any other Scooby Doo medium. Like that is the funniest gag joke I think mm-hmm. they've made in all the content I've watched. They, it may, there might be something that's more funny in like Be Cool Scooby Doo, but as far as the movies go, that's the funniest gag I've ever seen. Oh yeah. I also got Anastasia vibes because of Rasputin and how, like, his head sinks down into his body and his head lands in a puddle in his ribcage. I was like, is that what Mrs. Vander's inside looks like? (laughs) 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 I gotta tell you, as much as I love the Anastasia film, and we went and saw Anastasia on Broadway, which was Mm -hmm. magical... Um, I never liked Rasputin. He creeped me out way too much. I liked everything about oh, Anastasia yeah. except for the Rasputin parts. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved him, Rasputin but that's because parts. I think I just liked villains. Okay, so you guys like the villains. I oh, didn't. you too. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. I'm a fan of Gleb forever, but he's from the Broadway show. <laughs> <laughs> he is Wait, a Gab- so Gab- character. He is in the Anastasia. Uh, Broadway musical. Listen. Welcome to ATA where we discuss. What happens whenever you have fan fiction writers who don't like the villain? Welcome to ATA, all things Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we just changed podcasts now. Like, <laughs> just like, uh, segue, segue. Mid-show. We're in a new podcast now. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Um, Yeah, here we are with our hosts. Um. <laughs> Um, anyway, sound gags. I love them. So good. Anastasia. I love it. Did y'all notice the eyeballs moving in the painting? Yes. Oh. No. What a throwback. At what point? What? I Whenever think I just Mrs. missed it. Vanders is like walking them down the hall. A couple of the paintings, the eyes are just following them. Do they draw attention to it or is it something that you kind of have to notice in the background? Because I oh, didn't notice they it. they drew attention to it. Okay, then I'm just blind. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved it because it felt like such an old Scooby-Doo thing to do. It's, it's funny because I feel like anytime you watch a movie or a cartoon and the eyes move in a painting, it's like, this is, go- this is an homage to Scooby-Doo. Not saying they originated it, but I feel like they... they did it long enough ago that it might be the original visual gag <laughs> or visual... um visual thing to add to my point here we after we watched frankie creepy last night we watched legend of the phantasaur yes. and at the yeah. very beginning of that there's a painting whose eyes move mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a very scooby-doo thing to do mm-hmm. what else stuck out to you guys the clock tower the one that fell yep because it falls and then it's there again <laughs> oh yeah and all i can think about is that clip at the end with the dude yes. that is like definitely making a mockery of incels because he's like 
pulling up the clips and stuff, and he's like, this isn't accurate. Oh, the one who was like, I thought we were going to look at Daphne's modeling pictures. Yeah, that, that guy dude. from the credits. Oh, okay. I yeah. loved the credits for that very reason. Oh, man. <laughs> no, but you're right. When the when the train initially crashes into the... I thought it was a church at first because the spire that fell kind of looked like a steeple. Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh, the, so I said, oh, no, the church. And then I saw the clock. I said, oh, oh, no, the clock. <laughs> clock church. New religion. <laughs> clock church. <laughs> the, what the heck? <laughs> we worship time. We worship time. <laughs> it's Mrs. Vander's church. She worships time because... she's made a clockwork. Because <laughs> she's like, yeah. I have the only key, and no one's ever going to get back from her at this point. <laughs> what did you do on ATA tonight? Oh, we started a new cult with Mrs. Vanders. It's fine. <laughs> She's the prophet. <laughs> Saint Vanders. <laughs> no. It's the last person you want as your saint. Listen. <laughs> I know this, but it's just too funny. <laughs> Did anyone else think that it was the same voice actor as Edna Mode from The Incredibles? I didn't. But I can, I can hear it now. see where it's coming from. It's not, but mm. I totally thought it was for a second. Because uh, Edna is played by Brad Bird, and Mrs. <laughs> Vanders is played by a Dietrich Bader. Always the men. Well, maybe that's what made me think of it is because you could obviously tell it was a guy doing the voice of a woman. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds like Edna mode. Hardcore. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you to the truth. I didn't know Brad Bird did the voice of Edna mode. I just I just figured Edna mode was Edna mode. You know what I mean? That's just somebody <laughs> who talks like that and living the best life. And I want to be their friend. And... <laughs> Edna's love out Edna there mode. somewhere. I love Edna is Edna if you're out there. <laughs> Our queen. Love Edna. Um, I'll tell you what, though. The voice of Crawley, the lawyer, I swear mm. I have heard it somewhere before, but I couldn't figure out who it was or like where I've heard it. Like if you show, if you told me the name of the voice actor, I probably wouldn't recognize it. But if you gave me a character uh -huh. that he read, maybe I would. Mm. But I couldn't figure out where I've heard it before. Um, Internet, tell me. <laughs> I, I can tell you that the voice of Agent Schmidlap is absolutely the voice of the narrator from Powerpuff Girls because the city of Townsville. Like, oh it has goodness. to be. It has to be. <laughs> I don't want to look it up because I don't want to be wrong, but it's got to be. I can hear Agent Schmidlap saying the city of Townsville. <laughs> don't hate me, but I didn't grow up watching that. Oh, that's right. We have talked about that. In conversation I, before. Maybe we should watch that. That'll be really cool. I'm Powerpuff game Girls for that. is hilarious. <laughs> See, I didn't grow up watching Powerpuff Girls either because my mom didn't like how violent it was. Those violent girls. Yeah. My mom was really weird about some of that stuff. We weren't allowed to watch SpongeBob either. But dad liked it, so oh. we did. Yeah, that's the <laughs> mom didn't like SpongeBob, but uh we watched it anyway. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh man I don't know how we got away with watching Spongebob and not that my parents were strict or anything but like you know they, they wanted us to watch like Spongebob was just weird yeah it's yeah, which really I like. weird I love it so much I all do my too. heart 
<laughs> I can't find him, Jesse, but we will someday, some way, we will find out what that man has voiced. Well, anyway, I love him, whoever he is. I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The depressing throwbacks to the van exploding. Every time the van, like, the explosions just got bigger every time, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, like, when he got, like, over his his morning and, like, used it as strength and the earth unexploded and so did the van in his, like, mental, in his, like, mind's eye. Hilarious. Hilarious. Okay, but, like, I love how the van is Fred's reason to keep going. Because, like, <laughs> in that fight scene, he's, like, he's ready to give up. And Daphne pulls out his keys and she's like, don't do it for me, Fred. Do it for her. And, like, all of the sudden, he's, like, this Arthurian, like, hero with a broomstick. It, it's so funny, too, because <laughs> where this is in, like, in like re- release-wise, like what you were saying, like, where it is in the lineup following Mystery Incorporated, where Fred was obsessed with traps. And this movie, Fred's obsessed with his van. And then when you get to Be Cool Scooby-Doo, Fred is obsessed with his van. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is where it starts. The the obsessive Freddy starts with Mystery Incorporated, and then they just give him a new obsession as they go. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, can we talk about how they literally played on, like, what am I even saying? They flipped the gang upside down on its head with their yes. phobias and fears. Like... That's what was... makes this so interesting as a mm-hmm. film overall. Like, yeah, it's funny and it's uh, it's definitely funny and it's it's chaotic. But exactly what you're saying, um, they really did. F- they flipped it. They did something really interesting with the main characters. And they don't necessarily have to do that when they do these movies because it's pretty. I would say at this point, it's pretty easy to write a Scooby-Doo movie. Because it's easy enough to follow what the characters do and stick to their personalities. But this movie was like, no, actually, we're going to do something completely different. We're going to make Daphne self-conscious, Velma crazy, Fred depressed, and Shaggy and Scooby brave. And also full. Yep. (laughs) And it works. It does. Which one shocked you the most? I was more so trying to figure out what happened with, like, Shaggy and Scooby. Because, like, I could tell right off the bat that Daphne was in a fat suit. But, like, with 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 the two, I was like, they're suddenly full. They're never full. That's weird. And they're brave. And they're brave. <laughs> yeah. Like, Velma just randomly offhandedly mentions that she's going to take their brains out and give it to her monster. And they're like, oh, okay. I mean, we kind of need those, but okay. Whatever you need, girl. Whatever you need, queen. Um, Yeah. So supportive. I want to segue right from that in that my most shocking one. I thought that Shaggy's could be, like, it was weird, but I was very interested to see where it was going. When Velma emerged in that, like, bodysuit dress with a shock (laughs) of white hair, hair longer than what she started with. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second. What is happening here? Like, I was I was expecting Frankenstein, but instead we got his bride. 
Or rather, I should say, yeah, like like Frankenstein the doctor. <laughs> it, like, can y'all help me out here? Why are they just doing opposites? Why did they take Velma and make her like I don't even know, like <laughs> Ursula but thin, like <laughs> Ursula but thin. It. I feel like it's a. I feel like it was a, a visual way for the writers to draw a larger contrast between Daphne and Velma because you know Daphne's in the inflatable suit and then Velma's in a very like attractive slim it looks like she was sewn into that dress and again it's another way that just flips the 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 script flips the characters you know because Velma very easily makes Daphne feel self-conscious because like look at you you're beautiful really no Daphne runs away crying (laughs) like that's not normal for any of them nope I think anyone could look at that dress and be like, wow, Velma looks gorgeous for once. But then also, like, any girl knows that if you're going to be in a dress like that, you're not moving. You're not at moving. All. It's not you're happening. You're not going to use the bathroom, for at, at least not until you're, <laughs> like, done with the dress. Yeah. And, like, I love the fact that they commented on that. Because, like, Velma ran to get the monster. And she's like, how did I do this in this dress? <laughs> <laughs> the, hypt- the hypnosis did more than just make her crazy. It made her <laughs> agile. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Uh, so with Daphne specifically, because of course, Fred, uh, hilarious, poor, depressed man with his PTSD <laughs> from his van, his lost love. <sighs> Scooby and Shaggy chasing the monster down down those hallways and just, ugh, Velma's crazy. But Daphne was super interesting because hers was probably the most obvious. It's like, oh, yeah, she's she's not an oct. They're just putting her in a, in a uh, inflatable suit. And the shellfish part, I didn't catch. Like, I, I knew she said she was either. allergic to it. But when they said that that's what she got to make her look kind of puffy, I was like, oh, that's kind of a clever thing because you don't really think of, think twice about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I loved it because her initial thing is like, oh, my gosh, I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm no longer attractive. I'm not the pretty one. And that seems kind of shallow. Because it is it is shallow a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But she goes through like a secondary transformation before she gets out of the fat suit. Because when she goes through the mirror into the subterranean caves and she like, you know, has an altercation with the ghost. At one point, she's like, she gets mad enough that she jumps back at the ghost. Like, come on, take me. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you out in this giant suit. <laughs> How did she not feel that, though? Like, that's my question. I just... I imagine... You just have to accept that, is my guess. But. I mean, I think you're supposed to accept it. The only thing I could think to explain it is that this, the dress she was in actually was form-fitted to her, and the inflatable parts were just around it. Oh. Like, the sleeves were still, like... Attack the, the, the sleeves were still, like, tied on her arms, for example, but then mm-hmm. they were inside of, like basically like a balloon that puffed up made it look like she was a lot bigger interesting that's what i thought happened because i thought the same thing i'm like how did the air not escape so like the especially where the 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 dress meets her wrist it must be super tight to keep the air in not that the writers care about that um but that's what i thought speaking of shaggy and scooby's transformation when they revealed that it was acupuncture (laughs) in their pants that made them brave. I died. I died. (laughs) They're running around with needles in their butts. (laughs) 
Like I'm a five year old, I admit it, but it's just like what? What you gotta think of it like this too. The the inflatable suit was believable. De- Velma being hypnotized was believable, I guess. Uh, Fred's car just exploded, but Shaggy and Scooby had acupuncture. That's the explanation. In their pants. In their pants. Like I feel like they were like, how do we make them brave and full? Uh, acupuncture is the only thing I can think of, Carl. Like okay. And, and in one place only. And in one place only. <laughs> I just love that they do a diagram, you know, in the visual. They're like, here's a picture. Here's clearly their cheek. Here's the needles. Here's the pants. <laughs> they want to make sure you really understand the concept. <laughs> want to get that understanding through. Am I child? Yes. But do I still laugh at that very hard? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh, man. Did anyone else think that Iago might be in on the bad guy scheming? I thought he was an inside man because of he's the he's the Igor he's the he's the hunchback you know who works with the with the Doctor Frankenstein wannabe that is in these kinds of movies. So of course I thought he was in on it. Let me tell you, I was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, a tiny. Department of Defense man emerging from a costume like this would be like, oh, come on. Except in the very beginning of the film, they talk about exosuits and that they show a tiny Department of Defense agent in an exosuit that was stolen. And so I'm like, oh. nothing is wasted. Nothing's wasted. Like, they foreshadowed little tiny Schmidlap, (laughs) whom I love with all my heart. (laughs) I've said that about at least 10 people during this podcast, and it's all true. I just have a lot of love in my heart, okay? Gabby, who did you love in this film? (laughs) I think I absolutely loved Fred in this film. Because it's so funny. Because he's, like, trying to figure out how to get around life without his van. And, like, every now and then he's like, I got something in my trunk. Oh, wait. No, I don't. And then, you know, it cuts to the van explosion. But then he thinks that he can build himself another van. (laughs) And instead, he ends up with, like, a souped-up carriage with a horse that somehow managed to get into the mines. And you're like, I mean, okay. The logic leaps they had to make, like... Like, Fred determining that where Daphne was by, like, it sounds like it's coming, like, triangulate between these walls. There's moisture. There must be a subterranean cave. Like, I mean, yeah, he wasn't wrong about those. But the fact that they had to, like, is Fred always this smart or is this just a plot device? It's a plot device, obviously. But it's funny because it's not like he made up anything to figure that out. He just happened to be like, I know a lot about, like, sound triangulation and subterranean caves and moisture all of a sudden. Okay. And this stuff like that happens throughout the whole film. And, like, it just keeps, like, piling on top of each other how ridiculous yet, like, not incorrect <laughs> this stuff is. Um, except the mountains. Yeah, it's... There are no mountains like what? that in Pennsylvania. Yeah, absolutely none. <laughs> That's like, valid. Yeah. Like there are there's some mountains in Pennsylvania. They're they're kind of rounded off though cuz you know the Appalachians peter out up there. Um 
But there are no giant, craggy, Alps-looking mountains with castles no. on top of them in Pennsylvania. That was like when I was in college. My senior roommate was from Colorado, and she showed me a textbook that she had one time. And she's like, these are your mountains. No, these are my mountains. And these are your mountains. <laughs> yeah, we may Thank not have you. mountains, but it's easier to live on our mountains than it is in the Colorado mountains or the Rocky Mountains. Like, we can actually live on ours. It's really difficult to live in the Rockies. Yeah. Yeah, true so, that. So, ha. <laughs> <laughs> we have livable mountains. Livable mountains. We're more environmentally friendly. I have a question. Who is the clientele of this torch-making village in the mountains of Transylvania, Pennsylvania? Who's buying That's a these good torches? Question. The Amish. LARPers. LARPers. Like, like, <laughs> People who go to Ren Fairs or set up Ren Fairs. Yes. Like, I'm like, the yes. Amish, LARPers, and Ren Fair people. Is that it? Is, the, is this the clientele? That's about all I can think of. <laughs> Filmmakers. Filmmakers. Okay, we figured it out. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how are they How are they feeding a whole village off of torches? What I want to know is, as funny as Transylvania, Pennsylvania is... I feel like that was an afterthought because everything about the film is as if it's set in Eastern Europe. But at the beginning, they're like, oh, it's in Pennsylvania. As if to like, they like added that joke last minute. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like if they hadn't added Transylvania, Pennsylvania, I wouldn't, the movie wouldn't have been any different. I wonder, like, do you think that's just a joke or do you think it was a logistical thing? Like, oh, we can't actually send them to Transylvania. I don't know why they would have issues logistically because they've sent the gang to Antarctica, I'm pretty sure. Um, So they can get around. Right. Would it be the fact that, like, they had to tie it to Velma's ancestry somehow? It's possible, but at that point, you could have still had this all come from the old country. Which it Mm, did, but like come from the old country. Yeah. Um, they could have just gone back to the old country. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's funny how loops, the loops they have to get through to get people places. But in Scooby-Doo, it's mostly just like your great, 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 great ankle. Ankle. My gosh. Your great <laughs> ankle died and left you a bunch of money. And also we're flying you out to their castle so that you can be there for the reading of the will and the inheritance. Like they come up with stuff like that all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think it usually said, oh, your trip has been arranged for you and your friends. They didn't do it that way, which is fine. But I, I realized watching it that the being in Pennsylvania doesn't really affect the movie at all. Nope. Yeah. It's yeah. just a. I guess it's just a word gag. I guess. Who knows? Gosh. Who knows? <laughs> um. Oh, I. <laughs> I love the anti Scooby social network. <laughs> that concept and like it's such a dumb concept but like it works because the criminals are so dumb and at the very end it's like why don't you just like sell the rights to the natural gas and make uh, so much money and they're like oh we should have done that instead (laughs) like they bought a whole village basically you know the castle and everything right with all the money they'd pulled together just to get back at some teenagers that they don't like, who, you know, ended them in prison. <laughs> but they could have made a ton of money off the natural gas. They knew it was there. 
The yeah. whole time they knew it was there, they didn't think to sell it. Right. Like, that's so dumb. It's it's the pinnacle of how extra Scooby-Doo villains are. But, like, the fact that they knew that the gas was there and decided that it would make the perfect bomb. <laughs> like, they were like, you know what we could do with this gas? We could blow everyone up. Because <laughs> that's smart and cost-effective. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> You guys were in prison, like, planning this. Why did you not think this part through a little bit longer? <laughs> you had time. You gotta admit, they must have hated them a lot for them to want to send them into a death trap like that. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah, and I wonder why the writers chose those four villains. Like, it's cool yeah. that they referenced those four stories, but really, you could have picked any villain out of any Scooby-Doo story in the 60s mm. and 70s, mm-hmm. and I don't think it would have made much of a difference, like, to me, but I don't know why they chose C.L. Magnus and Lila and Madame Mione and the other one, Crawley. Um, <laughs> the other The one. fact that you can say any of them is very impressive. I'm just like, yeah, the people from the, the mm-hmm. In my head, the scene where they unmasked them was playing, so I was trying to go in order, like, okay, who did they unmask first? What did they say? <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, the Iron... I can understand why they chose Mama Mione, because the Iron Face is old enough that you wouldn't recognize it, apparently, for you guys. Um, but also striking enough that it's, like, not forgettable. You're like, oh, wow, that looks really... That's really rad. Right. Um, I It reminded me of Iron Face, but I, I wasn't like, oh, it has to be Iron Face, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I just wonder why yeah. they chose the other three then. I, I just wonder in the writer's room they how they determined who was going to be the returning villains that partnered up. Because they could have really done anybody. Mm. So I'd be curious to know why they chose them. Well, to me, Lila kind of makes sense. Because she was basically an actress already. In, like, the voodoo and stuff. So it makes sense that she would go on and be, like, the gypsy. Okay. Yeah, she seems yeah. petty. <laughs> <laughs> she seems petty. So does Mama Mione, but, um... I don't know. <laughs> I think it was a little bit... Not not unbelievable, but I feel like Mama Mione being Miss Vanders... Spoiler? We already said there were spoilers. Um, I feel like her being Miss Vanders... Didn't make a lot of sense because Mom Mion is like muscle. <laughs> That's true. She's a big buff lady, and she was a big buff lady whenever she was Iron Face, and they didn't play to that at all. Unless Mom Mion was behind Iron Face this time again, but they didn't show that at all. So I've got no idea if she was or not. But no, they put her in the little they put her in skinny Miss Vander's dress and said, yep, yeah, this is fine for Mommy Own. It just seemed to be kind of like a waste of her original character design. I thought of a a connection for Creeps and Crawl Crawley, maybe. Creeps and Crawls? Mm-hmm. Creeps and Crawls. That maybe um the whole setup for them was that Scooby inherited from this Colonel Sanders, this rich gentleman, and this went to a creepy man. house. Yeah, <laughs> this rich chicken man. And it's just interesting that, lo and behold, oh, Velma, you've inherited this estate. You know, it's kind of the same setup that they had the first time. Yeah. No, that that connection makes sense when you put it like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they choose the same setup. But, I mean, it is a connection to their story. 
Well, it's it's like the 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 notion that criminals tend to do the same kind of crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, thieves generally do a lot of thieving because they got good at it. And unless they've been actually thieves, reformed thieves. by the system, which the system is not really good at reforming people in the first place, but unless they got reformed, they'll probably go back to thieving because that's what they know to do. So the the whole you've got an inheritance, but I'm actually using this as a front to get what I want is just something Crawley knows how to do, and he went right back to it. Oh, and for Mama Mion, if she was already kind of doing undercover stuff with other bad guys and had a network, of course she'd get in on the anti-Scooby network and be like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to join this. Oh, for sure. Um, anytime that it was implied that Miss Vanders slash Mamion was in the monster suit, I think that was more, I think that was more apt for, for me own. <laughs> I think she should have been the monster the whole time personally, but, uh, personal opinion here. Um, CL Magnus, the shipping magnate, which is, do we use the word magnate anymore in the modern world? That's my cure. That's my, that's my question. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> do you? That's a no from from the Gabrielle. I was ready for Gabby to be like, yes, all the time. Every other word is magnate. <laughs> um, but I think they used his character very, very well. His, like his disguise and his role in it, I think, made a lot of sense. Right, as far as like what they had him do, not so much his connection to like why the writers picked him, but having him be like the mayor or whatever, the representative, um, and be kind of like... I think, from a writing perspective, the fact that they set this in a in a town of people emigrated from whose families emigrated from Eastern Europe, who seemed to be like a culture of like we distrust outsiders, uh, we're generally kind of aggressive and closed off. Um, not that that was everybody, but that's, that was, that's what they were kind of going for was that kind of maybe stereotypical Eastern Europe village, Eastern European village worked really well because the, the mayor and Miss Vanders and the gypsy lady and, um, the captain of the guard or whatever, um, they all seemed super suspicious, but that's just because they, the whole town was super suspicious of, of uh, the Scooby gang. So it kind of covered that up. So anybody in that village could have been someone in disguise and you wouldn't have really known it because they all were very, very suspicious and very apprehensive and kind of aggressive toward the Scooby gang. I just thought that was kind of clever because it, it meant that your, your pool of, of potential suspects was larger. And especially since there were four culprits instead of one, uh, you really didn't know who, who was, you really didn't know who was doing what it kept you guessing pretty much the whole time. So from my standpoint, I thought that all those choices were very clever and very well used. I think they kind of play you throughout the movie because you think, oh, well, what if it's Mrs. Vanders? Oh, what if it's the gypsy girl? Oh, what if it's this person or that person? And lo and behold, it's four stinking people. <laughs> well, it it makes it really like difficult to kind of suss it out because you'll be like, oh, what if it's Miss Vanders? But then she's in the room with the monster or like so is the mayor or the captain of the guard or the gypsy like it was easy for them to be seen in the same room as the monster so that it, like oh it couldn't be them except it yeah. could because they took turns <laughs> yeah or even the fact that 
this is a little different, but I love the fact that the mystery isn't really a mystery like, hey, there's this monster attacking the town, or hey, there's this ghost. It's, hey, Velma inherited a castle from a crazy man that made monsters. <laughs> like, the mystery is, what's up with Velma is the mystery, and what's up with the gang, and what's up with this curse? Yeah, because we don't see Iron Face all that much. I mean, we do, but once you get to... Once we get to the the village, we don't see him as much because the yeah. the 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 villain of the week is taken over by the monster. It's a very different mystery all around, which makes it appealing to me. It's very different, and the fact that like Fred even asked, like, what treasure were they trying to keep us from? Because that's the usual thing that they run into is that someone's trying to keep some kind of treasure of a sort away from them, and Velma's like, there was no treasure. They want revenge. Like, we don't get revenge plots in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We don't really get... I mean, maybe in Mystery Incorporated, there you could say there was some, like, revenge plot in there from... For some of it. But a lot of it usually links back to money, treasure, discovery, secrets, that kind of thing. And in this one, it really was just people wanting to get rid of the gang. And they had no other motive. Nothing to protect. Nothing to hide. No... Not... Well, they had money to gain, but they didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd almost, because you'd get to the end of the movie and you'd say, oh, well, they wanted to keep the natural gas rights for themselves. That's why they were trying to scare everybody away. But no, that's not even it. It under it undermines all of your expectations for how a Scooby movie plays out. Or I should say undermines, it subverts your expectations. That's the proper word, subverts your ex- expectations. <laughs> Can't talk. And maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much when I found this. And why I thought it was so odd that I'd never seen it before is because it's it's so unique and it plays on all the Scooby-Doo stereotypes and you really dig into all the characters and and their weaknesses and mm-hmm. their strengths. And it's like, this is so good. Like, why didn't I hear this pr- the praises of this film before? <laughs> I think a lot of it was super unique for sure for a Scooby film. Um, I love the end sequence where they round up the villains and trap them because they like they have Velma's floating head. They've got the 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 ghosts of the later Hosen, the dress, the van. I don't know. I feel like we haven't seen something quite like that where it's not like the villains got away with it. But no, they didn't. And we're going to use our own spooky methods to scare them to get them where we want them. I mean, it's kind of similar to the usual plot of, like, we've got a trap set for them, but the mystery is over, in a sense, because the castle's been blown up, and it looks like the gang was destroyed because of, like, Velma's flying, flaming glasses. I don't know. All of it was so interesting. It was so interesting. I... I have said to Gabby before, I wish I could like go back in time and sit in the writer's room as they were coming up with this initially yeah. just to see like what ideas they were throwing around and why these particular things stuck. Cause that must've been a really fun time. I would imagine it must've been really fun because they were like, it's a Scooby movie, but let's do everything backward. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's said valid. so many things and I started zoning out. What did you think about the Scooby film being kind of different? Oh, I liked it. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the succinctness. (laughs) Yes, that's all, folks. (laughs) 
Did y'all have any other final thoughts or funny things you noticed? I like how Scooby-Doo tends to humanize its monsters. It doesn't have to because it's a person in a costume. But when they were like, oh, I mean, if you think he smells bad, make sure he can't look at himself in a mirror. And he does. And he seems genuinely distraught as if he actually is a monster. It's like, that's a person in a costume. But in, in movies like this, they, they tend to do that. They make the monsters as if it is a monster who is a people rather than a person who is in a costume. Until we get to the part where it becomes a person in a costume. It's like two different things exist at the same time. A monster and then at the end of the movie... Or the story, oh, it's actually a person. And the costume looks really fake once you take it off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I, I love that. When Scooby and Shaggy are hooked up to get their brains cut out to put in the monster, that the person in the suit is starting to freak out because they realize, oh, my head has to get cut open to get a brain put in. Yeah. And they rip off Shaggy and Scooby's acupuncture pants and, <laughs> and make them scared again. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because Velma's craziness was a part of their plan, but they didn't, they didn't make her choices for her. So the fact that she got the monster strapped down, whoever was in the suit must have been like, oh, no. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> And you can see it. You, like, they were freaking like, this was not part of the plan. This was not what I was expecting to happen. Um, Get rid of the acupuncture. Like the the Get rid of it. Oh, she's crazy, crazy. What did we do? <laughs> like, oh, no, this may be a little bit too far. Um, but I didn't even notice the idea. Like, it didn't occur to me that the acupuncture later hosing came off because of that. But now that you've said that, like, oh, yeah, they were like, be scared again. Be scared again. We have to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then they eat the leather straps. What? They've eaten worse. Sure. Worse. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything else that really stood out to me. I really like the film overall. I would watch it again. We watched it with my sister the first time around and she was... She, she was, was dying. She was... She thought it was so funny and she was making all the same like confused like, why are they doing this faces? But we were enjoying the fact that we were confused. I spent most of this film like trying to figure out why, just why, and being like, I don't know why, but I'm having a fantastic time. <laughs> did we already say that we would recommend this? Oh, yeah, we already did at the beginning. We're like, yes, For we would recommend sure. this to anybody. Oh, yeah. oh, so we can do that um, that scale that we had talked about at one point. Um, oh, yeah. Do you want to use the same one? Well, I think we should, uh, I like the, the idea of the scale. So I think we should use it now and then we can use it for the next bit of stuff we mm. do for, for Scooby-Doo. So what, what was it? It was like, just like enjoyment, one out of five Scooby snacks, right? Mm -hmm. And then we did like the level of spookiness. Yes. One out of five. Spookies. Spookies. <laughs> Wasn't it like cobwebs or something? Oh, it was cobwebs. One out of five cobwebs. That's right. So, um... I'll 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 ask you, Rachel. On a scale of one to five Scooby Snacks, how much did you enjoy the film? This is a five Scooby Snacks for me. I I love this one. What about you, Gabrielle? It was six Scooby Snacks. I was gonna say that too. <laughs> six okay. Scooby Snacks. Are there are there actually cobwebs for you guys for this one? That's um, my question. Let me think about it. I will give it one cobweb because the art is so good. 
Mm-hmm. I, I've like I, I have this notion where like the spookiness doesn't mean necessarily that I'm scared, but like the setting itself looks really spooky and it doesn't look corny. Like the castle, as as corny as it is that it's sitting on top of this really tiny, tall mountain, this really skinny mountain. Um, inside the castle itself, it's very well designed. Um, the the shadows and the lighting and the colors and stuff like it's a very creepy place. The laboratory is really creepy. The fridge full of animal parts, the machines, um, that huge uh, glass atrium window thing above them. I there's a name for it. It's like the top of that part of the house is glass paneling and it opens up. A skylight? It's a really big skylight then. Yeah, a huge skylight. My brain went skylight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just couldn't think of the word skylight. I don't know. For the for the setting alone, I would like to award it one cobweb. But that's all I'm going to give it because it's one that you're supposed to, that, that you laugh at for the whole time. Yeah, I, I wasn't spooked out by this one at all simply because, like, the setting, the characters, everything looks spooky. Like, but, like, I I wasn't spooked out because, right, like, it's so... It. Yeah. yeah, so I think... I think I have to give it at least two cobwebs just because the look. Like, the look is so perfectly spooky. Especially the village. But, yeah. like, there, it's not actually a spooky film at all. For right. sure. Because you can, you can look at, like, the artwork and backgrounds of other Scooby-Doo episodes or, and movies and stuff. And sometimes, like, you can definitely see, like, there's a creepiness factor and spookiness factor to the artwork that's, like, on a scale. Um, like, when we watched Legend of the Phantasaur, which is a really good movie. Maybe one worth talking about. Um, we watched it. Like, it mostly took place in, like, caves and in a dig. Like, an archaeological dig. Which looked really good, but it did not have the same spookiness that the huge, like, castle did. So, like, there is a distinct difference, I think. So, I think it's fair to award cobwebs just for the artwork alone. Gabby, did you have any spooky webs in your spooky scale? Um, I give it a two and a half cobwebs. Because it kind of encapsulates the idea of the sublime, like, uppercase S. Which is the idea that, like, there is the potential of something to be terrifying and dangerous. But, like, the way that it is, or at the distance it is, it's not. Hmm. Cool. So, from far away, not creepy. Up close, creepy. Did I understand you right? Yeah. Because I've never heard of that concept before. Sublime. It is specifically a romantic literary idea. So, like, Wordsworth Longfellow and, um, like, Lord Byron and stuff, people Mm. like that. Oh, Lord Byron is a good one to reference for something like this because, you know, Mary Shelley, Frankenstein. Yep. All that good stuff. Um, Yeah. She's so knowledgeable, isn't she? I mean, let's be honest, if anyone got up close to Mrs. Vanders, the spookiness scale would go right up, like, way Oh, up. it's so funny you mentioned Byron, because Mary Shelley features in one of those jump cuts where it's like, it inspired Mary Shelley, and she writes and slams the book down on a desk, and so she's yeah. even in the movie. Very briefly, yeah. we're talking seconds. <laughs> <laughs> if seconds, maybe if like seconds two. on second. <laughs> A singular second. That's all that I really wanted to talk about on my end. Did you all have anything else you wanted to note about the film? I don't have any more notes. I think I'm good. Well, I guess we better wrap this up. Do y'all have anything you want to say to the peoples before we say goodbye? 
um, catch us next time because we're gonna be we're gonna keep doing Scooby Doo. I want to keep doing Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> this is just all the ATA, all things anime is just all Scooby Doo. All things. Well, we we'll do other stuff, but I think there is a treasure trove of Scooby Doo content that we could like alternate Scooby something else, Scooby something else, if we wanted to, because there's just so much Scooby out there. It's not like we're gonna exhaust it anytime soon, <laughs> and it's all worth talking about. Good, bad funny like it's all good 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 content to talk about gabby any words of wisdom or anything for the peoples eat a cookie and drink a very large glass of milk if you can have milk it makes everyone happy and if you can't have milk have a gatorade get your electrolytes up you need to take care of yourself more oh i feel like we just entered like family (laughs) session time (laughs) (laughs) All right, peoples, thank you for listening to ATA with not Danny and Ray and Jesse and Gabby. And (laughs) um, catch us next time when we may or may not discuss the very episodes that were referenced in this show. (laughs) Um, You know where to find us, ATA with Danny and Ray on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, and the emails. So um, that's all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.